Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. It's such a blessing to be able to turn to your own copy of God's Word. In this day and age, it might be even appropriate to say, turn on your Bible. Scroll to Romans chapter 14. We're finding ourselves in the middle of a two-week study that breaks down all of Romans chapter 14. And if you've noticed in past studies of different chapters in Romans, we've gone much, much slower, but I'm convinced that this, this passage is best taken in two big bites. Uh, one, looking at the first part, which is saying regarding Christian liberties or Christian freedom, things that are gray to most people, be careful not to fall into the, the actual idea that we take the place of God and become the judges of others. In this section, the last section, the last half, he says, be careful not to take the place of the devil, which is to tempt and to mislead others. Let me read that uh, paragraph for you so that we have it in our minds. Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 23. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather judge this, determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love, do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who is in this way, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food, and all things are indeed clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he's eating is not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, last week, we began looking at this idea of gray areas, or a lot of people call them Christian liberties, things for which we're at liberty to enjoy and pursue, but not commanded to do so, and not forbidden to do so. There's a lot of gray areas, and this first has to be understood in the context of this original situation in Rome. Now, think about this. You have a group of people who've come to believe in Christ who were formerly enemies and hated each other, namely a group of Jews and a group of Gentiles. And they come together in the Roman church. Paul understands that they, they came into the church with different convictions, different pasts, different experiences, different liberties. Some of the Jewish believers had dietary hang-ups. Why? Because there were so many foods declared unclean in the Old Testament. Go back to Leviticus 16 and you can see that. Leviticus 14, you can see that. Don't eat this, don't eat that. At the top of the list was pork. And yet, pigs were plentiful in Rome. It was the primary and cheapest staple for protein. So those who were Greeks or, or, or Romans or pagans uh, thought nothing of a BLT, thought nothing of a pork roast, nothing at all, except it was good food, good meat. Well, now they're sharing meals with Jews who had hang-ups about that. 
This was causing a host of problems. They were beginning to judge one another. They were beginning to look down on one another, or Paul says, look at each other with contempt. Ultimately, they were not loving each other, and worst of all, they were beginning to influence each other to do things that violated that person's conscience. What about the gray areas? There are so many. Unfortunately, I have seen divisions begun because of differing views of gray areas. Friendships end because of differing views on gray areas. Churches literally split because of differences of opinion about gray areas. There are things in the Bible that God leaves to wisdom and not mandate. For example, we began jotting down a little list last week, remember? What about what music to listen to? What can a Christian do or not do on a Sunday? What entertainment is suitable for a believer? What should a Christian do about drinking alcoholic beverages? What should a Christian do about sending their kids to school, homeschool, private school, parochial school, public school? Where should a, excuse me, how should children behave in public so as not to embarrass their parents rather than dealing with the heart of what's going on. How many children should a believer have? Is that mandated in the Bible? Is it okay to possess luxury items and nicer items? Can you have leather seats in your car or do you need to make sure that you have the roughest wires poking through your seats so that you're showing your holiness? Nice clothes, nice homes, nice cars. What about Halloween? How about voting? And it goes on. Just read Facebook. Breastfeeding, birth control, eating gluten, eating dairy, eating corn, eating meat, consuming calories is a problem for some people. Are these things that should be Christian convictions with biblical authority or not? I would challenge anyone to find me verses for any of those gray areas. Now, the challenge is not to find the conviction this morning. The challenge is what do you do if you differ with convictions of other people in the gray areas of the church? That's what Paul's addressing here with these Jews and these Greeks who come to Christ and now are existing, eating meals together, drinking beverages together. He actually talks about drinking wine, which is offensive to some people down later in the passage. What about these issues that deal with a Christian's freedom in Christ? And how do we navigate, how to enjoy and or avoid things that could be questionable? Now, this sermon comes with a warning label. You're probably going to be offended. I was. This passage comes with a warning label. No matter where you land, there's probably some correction that needs to take place in our hearts. The question of this section is, how can you take the role of the devil who, by his actions and influence, cause others to go away from God and not towards the Lord? Being a part of causing another to stumble is what Paul says, or sin, what Paul says, by our actions and attitudes in our use and knowledge of and exercise of Christian liberties and ideas in gray areas. Let's dive into this. We're going to look, we're going to ask a lot of questions this morning, a lot of questions. I'm going to break it down into two big questions with some questions underneath it just to ask ourselves. Two areas of consideration for avoiding corruption of Christian liberty. How do you not corrupt yourself? How do you not have a bad stain on your life and your reputation by either participating in Christian liberty or becoming a judge of those who do? Two areas of consideration for avoiding corruption of, you could say, your or my Christian liberty or liberties. So again, this is going to be a question with a series of sub-questions under it. First question is this. We need to ask ourselves, according to Paul, am I a hindrance 
to others with my liberties, my views, my exercise of gray areas? Am I a hindrance to others? This is in verses 13 through 18. Now, that breaks down into at least four other questions that we should ask that will help us answer that big question. Let's break it down even further. The first question is this. Does my liberty cause another to trip up in their faith? Does my liberty cause another to, I said trip up, Paul will say stumble in their faith. Verse 13. Therefore, stop right there. When he says therefore, he says he was talking to a group of people, probably the Gentiles, who were looking down on the Jews who couldn't enjoy shrimp and, and uh, pork. And he was, they, were, they were looking on them with, with contempt. Like, I can't believe you, you would do that. While the Jews were judging the Gentiles and saying, I can't believe you would be such a pagan and not honor the Lord's hatred of pork and shrimp. And other things. Based on that, therefore, let us not judge one another. Look at this word. Anymore. Don't miss the fact that Paul is not saying, let's talk theoretically. If maybe, perchance, on the off opportunity that you might someday, with maybe someone, have a judgmental attitude. We know when he says don't do it anymore that he means stop it. In other words, they were already doing it. I think all of us are natural born judges and can become natural born legalists if we're not careful. I have my convictions and my, on my gray areas and if you don't do what I do, you are wrong. You can look down. Remember what he told them? Look down, on, there's a contempt I heard, uh, this is not in this church, but I heard uh, uh, an argument between two brothers uh, last, this last March, one of whom was saying that if you don't send your public, kids to public school, then you're not testing them and you never know what's in their heart and so it's wrong to do anything else. And the other guy was saying, no, if you, if you send your kids to public school that's violating Psalm 1, you're letting them walk in the path of sinners, so that's wrong. And they were going back and forth and back and forth and I just wanted to say, time out. I didn't get a chance to say anything. Time out. It's not about the issue anymore. It's the attitude that's not instructive, not loving, not teaching. Stop judging each other. Instead, but rather, determine this. Interesting word, determine this. The ESV says decide. The word used there is the exact same word as translated judge just a few words earlier. Literally, it's let us not judge anyone anymore, but rather judge this or judge yourself. Exercise that same application of discernment and conviction on your own self as you are someone who disagrees with you. Preach to yourself. That's what he's saying. And say what? What's the sermon we preach to ourselves? Here it is at the end of verse 13. Not to put a tripping device, a stumbling block in a brother's way. Notice the illustration is simple, but it's effective. Putting a rock in the way of someone so that they trip over it. Not just someone, but a brother or a sister, someone you love. A blood-bought soul of the Lord Jesus. Don't do anything that makes them trip. All of us have been a part of or seen that great joyful moment in the life of a parent when it's time for the toddler to take his or her first steps, right? I remember all three of our boys when they were taking the first step. I remember where they were and what we were doing and where the place it was. And I remember when it was time for this, basically the mom or dad gets on one side and the dad on the other and you hold the wobbly, balancing little toddler and you open the arms and you embrace and you make sure there is nothing between the one who's letting go of the hands and the one who's receiving it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? It almost seems silly, but that's the point of this. Can you imagine 
that you're going to teach your little toddler to walk. Dad's on one side, mom's a few feet over, and you put up some fishing line that you can't see a tripwire right in front. And you go, let go, and they face plant. We would call that cruel and unusual punishment, mean, unkind, unloving, and that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Would you want to take someone who's a toddler in their convictions, who doesn't have things settled, and put something in their way that would make them trip and fall and stumble? Instead of helping a weaker believer to walk, a stronger believer's unwise use of liberty can actually cause them to stumble and possibly fall. It's not the only place Paul said this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says, Take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. You know what he's saying? This is hard. I have Christian liberties that I would enjoy just as you do. He's saying, your, my enjoyment, our enjoyment of Christian liberties is not just about our enjoyment and participation in a Christian liberty. It's also about the effect that that has on brothers and sisters around us. How can this happen? In order to understand that, we need to ask another question. Am I sensitive, letter B, am I sensitive to the conscience of the weak? Here's so many people say, well, it doesn't bother my conscience. And Paul says, I don't care what it does to your conscience. Are you aware of what you're doing and how it affects others' consciences? Conscience is at stake, but not our own. Because love always seeks out the well-being of the other more than self. The fundamental issue in Christianity is take up your cross and follow me. Deny your self, right? Verse 14. I know, Paul says, let, let, me, let me pull back the curtain. Let me tell you what I know. I know and, and I'm convinced. He could have used either one of these terms. I'm convinced or I know. He used them both together to show how powerful his own understanding is. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus because of my understanding of the gospel. My understanding that he's freed us up from regulations in the Older Testament that might trip us up into legalism. I know I'm convinced of because of my relationship with Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Let's use the original illustration. Paul knew about the, 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 the dream that Peter had. I'm so, I'm so thankful for that dream in Acts chapter 10. Remember, he drops the sheet in front of Peter, shows him all sorts of unclean animals that he was forbidden to eat, and says, rise, he's a good hunter, kill and eat. God has made all things to be enjoyed. Paul says, I know pork or shrimp is not unclean. I know, he says in 1 Corinthians, even if it was offered to the idol, I know there's no idols. I know they're just dumb pieces of wood or rock. It's ridiculous. It's just food. And he says, not only is it just food, you're going to taste it and then eliminate it a few hours later. That's his illustration, not mine. It's just food. I'm convinced that it's not unclean in of itself. But <laughs> to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Notice he doesn't say it is unclean. He says to that person's conscience, to him it's not right. It's not clean. Go back to the original context. He's telling these Gentiles who could eat anything, be careful with your Jewish brothers because they have lived a whole life of avoiding these things. It's hard for them just to flip a switch and come over to that side and eat anything. It's still unclean to him. Be aware of that. Be aware of that conscientious understanding they have. To him who thinks anything to be unclean, it is unclean. Unclean means condemned by God and disallowed. And don't miss the fact that all food being declared unclean 
or rather clean, is related to, look at the passage, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus. I know because of my relationship with Christ, my understanding of the gospel, what's clean and what's unclean. And it's about, we just sang it, pure hearts and clean hands from the inside out. He understands the issue is not just about the liberty. It's not just about the food. But at the end of the verse, he says, although his conscience is okay with certain things, eating certain foods, he's more concerned with the conscience of his brother and sister whose conscience is still sensitive to the old prohibitions in the law. In other words, it's important to know what is going on in the conscience of our siblings who are believers. You see that? He says, be aware of this. There's an obvious knowledge that this is a a bothersome participation to someone. That's why he addresses it. And the next consequence of not doing this, and the consequences, rather, of not doing this are serious. This next question gives me chills. Third question we ask. Does the gospel motivate me to love and not hurt another with my liberty? Does the gospel motivate me to love and not hurt another with my liberty? This is verse 15. For, it's a subordinate explanation. He says, for if, here's the, here's the hypothetical situation that's not very hypothetical, If, because of food, a Christian liberty, your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Now, this is interesting because in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, even in the 10, he he basically says that if you cause another to participate in the liberty that violates their conscience, then then that's wrong. That's the extreme. Someone watches you do something. They say, well, I'm going to do it too. Their conscience is violated. That bothers them. That's causing someone to stumble. Here, he goes beyond stumbling. He just says, if it hurts them. I didn't write this. (laughs) If they're hurt, then you're not loving, he says to us. And wow, here comes the big, gigantic statement in the chapter. Do not destroy with your food, your liberty, him for whom Christ died. This is the principle he's been teaching since chapter 12. Love is the governing consideration of all relationships, especially of believers. And also notice there's a deep concern that you want to love them aggressively, but also not hurt them even passively. Or you could destroy them. I've seen so many people cross this line, sometimes with even a prideful arrogance. I'm free to drink. So if someone is bothered by it, that's their problem. That's an exact quote. My kids don't watch those movies and play those video games, so I'm going to disassociate with that family because their kids watch and play things that mine don't. I've seen that happen. Our family's decision to send our kids to public school and Anyone who does homeschooling is just weird. I've heard that happen. Why are you putting your kids in the devil's playground by putting them in the public school? I've heard that as an exact quote. The point is simple. Personal liberty is trumping love as the major consideration for relating. Listen. Some of those statements might actually be true. But you get at the answer not by hurtful conflict, but by careful, loving consideration. How can you destroy someone with liberty? 
how can you destroy someone? It says you can destroy their, their faith, destroy what they believe, destroy someone from who Christ died. How can that happen? Well, first of all, you can do it by flaunting your liberty in a proud way. This is what I can do. I'm gonna do it. Pound sand if you don't like it. You're just a weaker brother. Flaunting your liberty in a proud way. Participating in a liberty in, in arenas and publicly in places or uh, articulating these convictions where you don't understand or know the conscience of those around you. He says clearly here you need to know what others around you think. Another way is making fun of those who don't participate in your liberty with you. I've had that happen with me personally. You could cause them to participate. This is 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. You could cause them to participate in what you're doing or what you think that would violate their conscience. And the bottom line is you're making your liberty louder than your love for Christ. That's the issue. Known more for liberty than love. And don't think that others are not watching. The whole point of this chapter is everyone's watching each other. And that's a good thing. Few things will gain you a reputation like a wrongful freedom in the use of liberties, which leads us to our final question in this section. Is my reputation with liberties acceptable to God and approved by men? Is my reputation with liberties acceptable to God and approved by men? Verses 16 to 18. Therefore, do not let what is good for you, a good thing, for you a good thing, be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not liberty, eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's break that down. How is your use of liberty spoken of? That's the point of verse 16. How is it spoken of? Do you even... Do you need to broadcast every liberty you enjoy to everyone? Or, as was the case here, does sometimes your enjoyment of liberty with others become a point of fellowship to such extent that some who don't participate or enjoy or believe in, your, in, in their conscience about a Christian liberty, are they even a consideration or is the liberty itself the reason for, for fellowship, for enjoying one another? Verse 16 is pretty clear. Do not let what is, a, what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. We'll find out in a minute. Paul, I think, says sometimes you can enjoy Christian liberty without broadcasting it to everyone. Not everyone needs to know that it's your Christian liberty. And if you have to enjoy it with others for it to be an enjoyment, it's no longer a Christian liberty. It's a means of fellowship. He says, don't let it be spoken of as evil. This could be social drinking, convictions about school, doing Halloween, voting, birth control. If that's your reputation, that's a really sad conclusion that people would make. Instead of a reputation being as those who love others because of Christ. He doesn't say here, you can strain all you want, my dear, loving, weaker brethren. <laughs> he doesn't say here, don't do it. He says, be wise with it. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. Right here in, in verses 16 to 18, he's talking about reputation. Don't let what you enjoy be spoken of as evil. In other words, don't let there be a reputation and a bad one at that. Why? Because the kingdom of God being a part of the, of the uh, redeemed community of Jesus Christ is not eating and drinking. He's not saying go on a diet. He says, the reason that we're free in Christ is not to serve ourselves, but to serve others. The kingdom of God is not characterized by those who participate in liberties. Instead, though, look what he says, the contrast in verse 17. 
It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that this matches my experience with those who are flippant and prideful about their liberties. Instead of having a reputation of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, it can often become a reputation of being unrighteous, at war with others and in defending one's use of liberty, and an attitude of unhappiness and frankly, just being a jerk about it. So what's the standard? Standard is above the clouds and below the clouds. Look at verse 18. For he who serves in this way, I love the fact that it's um, service to Christ that he's looking at. In other words, your, your kingdom priorities are, are set is acceptable, look at the north, vertical, to God and horizontal and approved by men. In other words, we don't do anything for which God would say, what are you doing? Nor do we do anything that would hurt and violate our love toward anyone with our Christian freedoms. The wise use and even avoidance, as we'll see in a minute, sometimes of liberties, We'll have the dual function of setting our reputation and relationship with God and setting our reputation and relationship with others. And the focus of our enjoyment and or avoidance of liberties is all about serving. What's the text say here? Serving Christ. We are slaves of his choosing. Children of him. So, do I hinder others? Do I, do I, does what I believe in gray areas, does what I do with gray areas, does that, does that cause others to stumble? Does it hinder them? Does it, does it impact them in a negative way? That's a question to ask. Conscience is the issue. It's just not yours. It's others. That's the negative side. Am I hindering them? Opposite, we come to the next group of questions. We'll have three of these questions under this category. Am I a help to others with my liberties? Are they redemptive? Are they purposeful? Am I a help to others with my liberties? Now, this is going to get really, really intricate and so simple that I think it's easy for anyone to just read and understand, I think. Three questions under this. First of all, do I understand the powerful influence of liberties over others. This is such, a, such an important feature that so many miss. Do you really understand? Do I understand how powerful, the powerful influence of liberties over others? This is verses 19 and 20. So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. He just talked about the peace and uh, uh, joy we have in the Holy Spirit. Now he builds on that. We pursue the things which make for peace and not tripping up or destroying one another, but building up. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things are indeed clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. He changes the imagery here, Paul does, from stumbling blocks to construction and demolition. Building up, and tearing down. And the principle here is that just because the use of liberty is not wrong, that doesn't mean that it's always right. You understand that? That's a hard principle to understand. Just because it's not wrong doesn't mean it's always right to do. Paul says, does it build up our brothers and sisters or does it tear down? That's the question. Yes, there is a goodness and joy that God has given to believers in liberties. Boy, I, honestly, and I, I'm not being flippant when I say this. A, a, I love BLTs, a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. Let's, let's stress that out. Let's say that a few weeks ago I told you I was able to, Kim and I were able to share Christ with a, a Jewish rabbi on a bike trail that we were walking on. Let's just say, hypothetically, he came to Christ. And we had him over for dinner and we had BLTs and he just went, oh. He walks in and smells bacon and said, oh. 
for me to say, oh, it's really good, you'll like it. Have you ever had crispy bacon and a fresh juicy tomato with crisp lettuce on a butter toasted piece of wheat bread? And it's, it's awesome. Is that love? Does it build them up or does it tear them down? Think about that original context. Back to them. The Gentiles eating pork at, church, at a church meal, a church, church picnic with Jews who were still bothered by eating unclean things categorized by the law. Would that be loving? Would that be helpful? No, it wouldn't be helpful. I'm gonna give you one of the oddest illustrations that I've ever told anyone. There was a friend of mine who went on a missions trip to Ecuador. In fact, he was with the, uh, uh, visiting with the Alca Indians where Jim Elliott was ministering and where he lost his life. They were down there for a week, building the church and enjoying the fellowship. A few days in, the hunters came back with some meat. They shot with a blowgun, killed, butchered, and cooked a monkey. Let me show you the maturity of these Ecuadorian third world believers. My friend Daniel, who was there, says, I was touched to the point of tears that when they brought the meat out, they were careful to make it look like meat. But there was one guy who he developed a relationship with who went around the back of one of the huts and disappeared for a while. So Daniel went over to see what he was doing. I hope you're not sensitive. But he had the monkey's hand that had been skinned and eaten and was eating the meat off the hand. And he said to him, what, what are you doing? He says, I just, this might offend some of you Americans. And so I just, I didn't want to do anything that might offend you. That's pretty mature. He weighed the issue, the, the situation, looked at the consciences of the people around him and said, this doesn't bother me, but it might bother somebody else. I'm just gonna go around the hut and eat my monkey's hand. <laughs> do you see his maturity? Seriously, do you see his maturity? Do you understand his sensitivity? Second question. Have I considered... <laughs> Oh, I'm going to get emails. Or Paul is. Have I considered the power of abstinence of liberty for another? This is not Rick's legalism. This is Paul. Have I considered the power of abstinence for another? Verse 21. It is good not to eat meat. Then he adds this. Or to drink wine. Where did that come from? Or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Here is the hardest question for anyone who enjoys any kind of Christian freedom. And it's this. Is abstaining from that freedom and that liberty an option for you so that it might cause a better spiritual pathway for brothers and sisters who we love. Just read 21 again. Just, just read it again. It is good. It's a good thing. Not to eat or drink wine. Let me summarize that. Participate in anything that might be a liberty offensive to someone else. It is good to avoid that, to abstain from that. Or anything, he, he goes beyond food and beyond wine, anything that would cause your brother to stumble. It's interesting that he moves from food, and he includes the drinking of wine here. You know, drinking wine and drinking alcohol is not just a modern American problem, a modern American conscientious issue. It goes all the way back to biblical times. And by the way, today it's not a, an issue in every culture. It doesn't mean the same in every culture. But it sure is for many 
pockets here in our country. Is it wrong? Let me just ask the question that all of you are asking. Is it wrong to drink an alcoholic fermented or distilled beverage? Is it wrong? No. The Bible doesn't say that. It says it's wrong to get drunk, right? The Bible doesn't say that it's wrong to do that. But years ago, based on this verse, I I made a personal decision. Just don't drink anything. I'm going to tell you, that decision to not drink has never one time, one time ever caused me questions in anybody's mind. But I don't know anyone who openly does so, who can't point to a situation where someone might have had a question about it. So what, what's the point here? Well, should you do it or should you not? Paul told the Corinthians, therefore, if, boo, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again. That's how radical he was. So that I may not cause my brother to stumble. So what happens if you disagree? What happens if you disagree with a brother? I asked my sweet wife if I could use this illustration, so we're gonna use it, and I'm gonna be very generic about it, okay? No heroes and no goats in this story. Uh, when we, um, we got married, we uh, were married about a year, and then babies started coming, and we had kids. And the first few years, they just kind of, you feed them and deal with the consequences, and it's not that big a deal, and then they start asking questions that you have to have answers for, and they start seeing things. And we, uh, we came up, when our oldest was about four years old, to the question of Halloween, complete Christian freedom. Some of you love taking your kids out trick-or-treats. Sometimes some of you won't. We had this, it wasn't a conflict, really. It was just a discussion. We were talking about it. One of us thought, dress the kids up, take them to get candy. It's not a problem. The other thought, you know, I don't think that's a problem, but I don't like the idea of participating in a, in a, in a celebration of a culture of death. So we talked about this. I don't, I don't think we debated. We just talked, talked, talked. At the end of long discussions, we, the Hollands, decided, you know what, we're just not gonna do it. We're gonna go bowling or do something else special. And here's the point I wanted to make. When we had a disagreement, collision, that may be a strong word, disagreement about a liberty, we agreed that it would be better for both of us to err on the the conservative side of that decision more than the participation side of that decision. Now, I tell you that not to make us heroes, but to say that was hard. Those were hard discussions. We were never angry with each other. It was long, sweet discussions and uh, days and weeks of this. But I learned something through the discussions that, that Kim and I had, and that was if, if there ever is a choice I think Paul is telling us here, you're better off being more conservative than libertine is the way uh, he describes it. Now, I know what you're thinking. Mission Road just went liberal on June 4th. Just went legalistic, rather, on June 4th. (laughs) No, it didn't because we got to ask the next question. Third question. Can I navigate differing consciences on liberties? So just when you think Paul's saying, don't ever, he comes right back in verse 22. Can I navigate the differing consciences on liberties? Number, verse 22. The faith which you have, this faith which allows you to participate in different Christian freedoms and liberties, have as your own conviction before God. He doesn't say stop. He's basically saying be wise before God. Don't participate in arenas where you could be under, misunderstood or with consciences that you don't understand. That's the point. If it's your own conviction, that's good. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. In other words, your conscience before God has to be set that what you're doing, what I'm doing before the Lord is not sinful but it's also not harmful or hurtful in my participation in such a liberty. We have to be careful not to become legalists. And I think verse 22 
pokes a hole in that legalistic balloon. It speaks of one's own conviction before God. I think the point here is that Paul is emphasizing is that exercising liberties in private where they cannot affect your reputation or cause your brother to stumble is different than condemning yourself, is what he says, in what you think is right. Verse 22b. Being happy, being joyful, and thankful is contrasted with condemning oneself by being the one who makes someone stumble or who hurts someone. You know what the question really is for you and for me? Is there any expression or experience of a Christian freedom or liberty that we would choose to enjoy over loving a brother or sister Texas for whom Christ died? That's the question. And he goes on, verse 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. <laughs> this is so good. I love Paul giving us the benefit of the doubt. You have your, your conviction before God and you're, 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 you're set and you know that what you can do is okay and you're gonna be wise in the exercise of it. But if you're doubting, if you're going, oh, I don't know about this, then your eating is not from faith. The participation isn't anchored in gospel priorities and gospel values because whatever is not from faith is sin. That's the summary principle. If there's any doubt, any question, any hesitation, Paul says, don't participate. Don't condemn yourself. And the reason is that this behavior is not motivated by, motivated by faith in the Savior, but selfish enjoyment or even seeking approval of those who might watch you enjoy your own exercise of liberties. May even be seeking the approval of others who are strong. May even be to show others that we're strong. Believers don't flex liberty muscles. Isn't that ugly when you see a guy? You know, you know the guy. He's an 11th grader. Sorry if you're in 11th grade. And uh, he got the, the uh, lock to the, the weight room at school. And he starts lifting weights. And, and he walks by the mirror. And he's walking like this. And he sees the mirror. And suddenly he's big buff. And he, he just, you know, uh, you know, which way to the restroom? And he says, you know, that way. And it's, uh, he just wants to flex. Look how strong I am. Um, in a spiritual sense, Paul says, we don't do that. We don't do that. We're motivated by faith in Christ. And the last phrase is the exclamation point on the whole issue, situation. If our decisions and actions are not motivated by our faith in Christ, whatever it is, this goes beyond liberties, whatever we do is sin. So there is nothing on the Christian freedom spectrum that you can't enjoy if it's enjoyed before God and not having an effect on others. Now, if you're smart, and I know you are, you're gonna say, that's way too broad. You're right. You know what it takes? Wisdom. You know, the longer I, I follow the Savior, the, the longer I'm a believer, I, I find that more and more of life comes down to wisdom decisions, don't you? I mean, so much, the black and white's easy. You know, don't commit adultery. Don't uh, uh, kill someone. The, 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 the Ten Commandments, those are pretty easy to see, the black and white nature. These gray areas take wisdom and should take discussion and prayer with each other and understanding each other's consciences and learning from each other and the weak becoming stronger and the strong being more sensitive to the weak. I just keep going back this house church in Rome, Romans and Jews at a church picnic with pork roast. How does Paul say to handle that? You know, he says, there's a lot of other things you could eat, a lot of other sources of protein, a lot of other ways to hydrate yourself. So the first 12 verses ask us, are you taking the place of God by judging others who are exercising their liberties? 
Because there's a difference between those who judge others and are not influenced by it. That's just legalism. That's just meanness. But the other side is taking the place of the devil, which says, I'm going to participate in what I want to, and I don't care the effect or impact it might have on someone else. Do you hear Paul kind of, I feel like it's, you know, at Disneyland there's this uh, Autotopia ride. Um, and uh, this, you could actually get on this ride and push the gas and never touch the wheel and you would, you would get to the end. It, it would be a very bumpy ride because it's, there's a, a, a guide in the middle that you can only steer a little bit and it goes back and forth, it bumps back and forth and it doesn't, doesn't let you get off, off track. What's our guide? How do we drive our souls for the glory of God? He gives us this thing in the middle to keep us on track, but it's sometimes bumpy figuring it out. I'm just gonna be honest with you. It's not always smooth, and we make mistakes, and we learn from them. But he does give us a guide that should keep us from erring too far on one side or the other. So here it is. If you're a legalist, grow up. Quit judging other people for enjoying their liberties. And if you're too loose with your liberties and not considering other people, you're not as strong as you think you are. Grow up. It's all about maturity and love, which is the, the, the driving factor in chapter 12, 13, and 14. If you have any questions, um, I'm going to give you Aaron's email address. You can call him. All, he's going to be on vacation this week, so just email him all your questions this week. <laughs> I'm kidding. I recognize there are more questions sometimes at the end than answers. It's just what Paul said. Let's pray.